I'm Sharon Betters, and today I'm having a conversation with Ruth Offworth. I met Ruth when I was a little girl, and I actually babysat for Ruth when I was 12 years old, her three rambunctious little boys, and I have lots of fun stories that I could share about them, but I won't in this platform. Ruth, uh, when I met her, was a pastor's wife. Her husband, Bob, was an incredible influence in my life personally. And Ruth, you have been such a warrior woman to me personally, as you have walked by faith, even in this season of life. And our topic today is going to be, uh, what does it mean to flourish in this season of life, to be ever-growing, evergreen? And Ruth, I feel like you're very qualified to talk about this topic because I'm 70 years old. So how old are you? I'm 88. And I have to tell you, Sharon, I thought it was going to take longer to get to this age. But it hasn't <laughs> taken long at all. That is a very good way of putting it. It, is, it does seem as though all of a sudden the years just start flying by and there's nothing we can do to stop it. But you know, Sharon, I, I am amazed at the difference, as the old Puritan said, between my receivings and my deservings for these 88 years. And what do you mean by that? My receivings, the blessings, the, the grace of God on my life and my deservings. There's such a big difference between the two, but I am so grateful to God for how he has worked. Well, as we have our conversation, why don't we start off with talking a little bit about those receivings when you first were, when you were a young woman and tell us a little bit about your life growing up and uh, how you met Bob and a little bit about your sons. Well, I'm just so grateful for the family that God has given me. What would I do without them? We had three sons, no daughters, but wonderful daughters-in-law, which I am very grateful for. Right now, I live alone in a three-story townhouse in Gainesville, Georgia, not far from, from Brad and Kathy, about two miles. And uh, I have three sons. The oldest, Gary, lives with his family in Florida. He works in a business in Clearwater. And the second son, Brad, is the one that I live near. He and his wife have two daughters, and he is a He's in the medical practice. He's a general surgeon here in Gainesville. And then my youngest son, Mark, with his children, they had six children all together, is married to Anne. And they, um, Mark is a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina, not too far away, about less than two hours to, to get here. And we get to see each other very often. And he's my tech guru who helps me on the computer all the time. I don't know what I would do without him. And 13 grandchildren scattered in various places and four great-grandchildren. Two of my grandsons live in Chile, South America, so I don't get to see them very often. And four of the, uh, three of the four of great-grandchildren live in Chile also. Chile became part of their hearts because Mark... And his family were missionaries there. Isn't that right? Yes. And you and Bob were missionaries before that. So Mark's heart 
turn toward Chile, probably because of being raised part, partially in the country of Chile and saw the passion of his parents for sharing the gospel there. Yes, he felt called to go there and he was a pastor of a church for six years. He was actually there twi- twice at two different times, but he had such a heart for Latin America and he still goes back to um, Costa Rica a lot and does mm-hmm. seminars. And his Spanish, of course, has uh, aided him a great deal. Mm-hmm. And my, my other sons, too, growing up in Chile, they've used their Spanish a lot. Brad has, in his uh, medical practice, there are many, many Mexicans living here, more than 30,000, I believe, here in Gainesville. And so he is able to minister to them mm-hmm. in his practice. Well, I can certainly see how your life helped turn the lives of your sons toward mission work. What about your parents? What about when you were a little girl? What was that like growing up? And what would you say is one value that your parents taught you, not necessarily with words, but with their lives? Well, I grew up, there were six of us, and in a very happy home with loving parents, We had good times together. My father always thought Saturday should be a day for fun. Mm -hmm. And we had fun together visiting my uncle on his farm with their nine children. You can imagine the good times we had or the beach or anyway, it, it was a happy home. And one of the things that they taught us was a good work ethic that hard work was expected and don't don't expect handouts. And I remember I started earning my own spending money at 11 years of age, cleaning for my aunt. And also the church was very important to us, but unfortunately we were in a church that that was very legalistic, very works-oriented, But also in that church, I have to say that I had a wonderful Sunday school teacher who taught me to love the Bible, and it became very precious to me even then. But it wasn't until we left that church and went to what was the Bible Presbyterian Church in Newark, Delaware, that I really understood salvation and came to know the Lord as my personal Savior. And tell us about that. Was that a process or was that a moment that you can go back to and say, this is when I met Jesus? Well, at that summer Bible school, I I remember the teacher explained very clearly, uh, Jane Cross, it was, that uh, what salvation really was. And I can remember very vividly placing my trust with the understanding I had at that time of trusting Jesus and not the good works uh, that I was doing. And it certainly did change my life. How did it change your life as a young, as a young girl? Well, when we went to this new church as a teenager, and as I w- was involved in the youth group and in the services, I began to grow so much. Mm. And I realized that Even though when I finished high school, I worked in a bank. I didn't think I was going on for more education. But as I grew in the Lord, I knew, I don't know what the Lord has for my life, but I know I need to to, um, have more education. And so it was at that time that my cousin was going away to Shelton College, and it gave me the courage to say, I'm going to do the same thing, and, and it changed my life. 
changed my life completely and gave me such a desire to serve the Lord. I didn't know how he was going to lead in this, but I asked him to let me marry either a pastor or a missionary because that was my heart's goal. And so tell us about falling in love with Bob. Between my junior and senior year of college, I always came home every summer and worked at the bank to get enough money to go back to school. And so I was there that summer when Bob came to be the assistant of our pastor, Dr. John Sanderson. He came to help in summer Bible school and to be in the pulpit when the pastor left for his vacation. And uh, I remember I was dating someone else at the time. And I thought, well, you know, I'd heard of, I'd heard of Bob Offers before. <laughs> I had heard of this big football player from Wake Forest University and that he had already done all of this preaching all over North Carolina, even as a, when he was in college and then during his seminary years. So when he came Because I was dating someone else, I thought, well, it's too late now. I have wanted to meet him, but it's too late. But it wasn't too late. (laughs) That summer, as I was a part of the youth group, and as we did many Christian things, such as speaking, having meetings at the workhouse, the, the, the local prison, and the Brandywine Sanatorium, So I was a part of, believe it or not, a trio at that time. And we went along and sang, and Bob was the speaker. And the more I saw Bob, the more I doubted my other relationship. That's how it all worked out. And the man of my dreams entered my life. I love hearing this because there's a couple similarities. And one that was that you, you mentioned that you started earning your own money when you were 11, and that might have been why you took a chance on me to let, you ba- let me babysit and then even clean your house for you when I was 12, and my mother couldn't believe that you wanted me to clean your house because of the way I cleaned at home, so that was a problem, and then I, uh, there was a girls trio when I was a teenager, and I remember singing and Bob preaching. So that's kind of fun to think about that, um, about how God just continues with his circle of the covenant family. And and you were wonderful to have there in in our home at that time, just a teenager. And I just liked you so much. (laughs) Well, it was a gift for me, for sure. No doubt that was a gift for me. And in fact, I did write something about my adventures as a babysitter with your boys. And I've I've got to find that story because I remember using some of the real things that happened, but then kind of embellishing it quite a bit. So they, they were much more rambunctious in my story than in real life. So, oh. <laughs> so you've already uh, answered the question as to whether or not uh, what you felt when you knew that Bob wanted to be a pastor because you had been praying that God would give you a husband who was a pastor. Did you feel qualified as a pastor's wife? And what one piece of advice would you give to a, a new young pastor's wife starting out? You know, I was so naive about so many things, but no, I didn't feel at all with fear or trepidation about becoming a pastor's wife. It's what I wanted to do, and God was working it out. What I would say to new pastor's wives, you need to just be yourself. We're all so different. We have different gifts. 
And so you, some can do certain things and some can do other things. But I think the most important thing is to love the people and to be friendly with them. Go out of your way to meet and get to know people. I knew a pastor's wife who never felt that she could be upfront teaching, felt that she didn't have musical gifts, but she was just the most friendly person to all the people in the church, and she was very much loved. Mm. Well, that sort of takes the pressure off of any young pastor's wife who thinks that she's got to teach the two-year-olds and play the piano and be in charge of the women's ministry. So we're here to say, as two seasoned, very seasoned pastor's wives, You don't have to do any of that, but loving the people, and of course, it goes without saying that that love comes from loving Jesus and growing in grace and growing in in your relationship to him, most important thing of all, I know. And I saw that in you, Ruth. I don't know of anyone friendlier than you. You always were talking to somebody new and remembering something about them the next time you talk to them. That was really remarkable to me. So I think you have a gift. I wasn't always that way. As a young person, I was very shy and used to admire my cousin who was so outgoing and could talk to anybody. But I I came to understand that nobody has it all together. Mm. and Nobody's on the top of everything. And people have needs. Everybody has needs. And to just reach out to them and be involved in whatever you feel that you can be involved in, that is always appreciated by the people. Well, speaking of ministry, how many years were you and Bob partners in ministry as Bob was a pastor? It it was over 40 years, counting the the years even after we retired from Newark, but we were still involved in ministry together. If I remember correctly, your ministry then was to pastors. You did a lot of traveling with meeting with pastors up and down the East Coast and shepherding them. What, What a special gift. I know that had to be for so many who needed somebody further along in the journey to help them. Yes, but but the thing was at that time, Bob was beginning to lose it mentally. Mm -hmm. And so it became more and more of a problem. And he didn't really understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't very happy about it at all. He had always been a strong leader and still wanted to be a strong leader, and he was just not capable of that. It it got to the place where I was arranging the meetings and sort of taking charge of things, and I thought, this is not right. We need to just bow out of this ministry. It was not a pleasant time because Bob told the boys that, well, your mother and I could still be in ministry if she would cooperate. But he, he just did not understand what was happening. I don't think he had Alzheimer's. I think it was a mental deficiency brought on by perhaps his years of playing football. Mm. And they have found out that many head injuries can result in that in later life. And also when he had bypass surgery, some of the ways that that operation was done at that time have affected the mind. Mm. And so he he always knew us to the very end, but he was not thinking clearly. How long was he sick? Well, it was so gradual, Sharon, mm. that 
it was was hard to say. I think that after he had the bypass surgery, I never felt he was quite the same again. But he carried on for quite a few years, and and then when we retired, he he did not want to just sit around. He still wanted to be active, and so we were able to do that for quite a few years, but it just became impossible, and we had to go through that really hard time. How were you able to get through that time? Because, I, I mean, I grew up seeing Bob, this strong leader. He, he walked into a room and you felt safe. That's the kind of spiritual impact he had. I remember him as a teenager. I remember him taking a bunch of us to the beach, and we were in this very rough ocean and he was watching all of us. <clears throat> he was right out there with us, of course, you know, and he was telling us, all, everybody stay together, you know, watch out for one another. And that's the way he led. I, I felt that that is the way that he led the congregation and he shepherded. So as his completer, talk to us a little bit about some of your feelings and how you were able to still be his completer in a way that helped him in that season of life? I think as I look back on it, I could have done a much better job than I did. (laughs) My children were very helpful. By that time, we had gone, entered Quarryville Retirement Community. He was difficult because he, he didn't want to just stay in the apartment. And I had great fears about his going into other apartments and it was getting to the place where we couldn't just stay together where we were. My, my sons were a great help. Sometimes when, when Bob was very upset about something, I'd say, well, let's call Mark or let's call Brad or let's call one of them and ask them what they think about this. And he was willing to listen to them more than he was willing to listen to me. And they'd say, well, Dad, why don't you just go to bed tonight? We'll think about this tomorrow. And sometimes he was willing to do that. It was very difficult. And I had people around me, though, that were helpful. Then we decided, but we did leave Quarryville, and we moved to to be with Mark and Ann, not to live with them, but in the same town, down to Orlando, Florida. And that was one, that was when Mark was in seminary down there at RTS. And he was a wonderful help at that time. He was such a busy person at that time. He had a part-time job as a music director in a church, in a large church. Plus, he was going to seminary. Plus, he had five children at that time. And yet, he made time for Bob And every Saturday morning. He would pull up, and, and Bob would be waiting in the driveway mm. for breakfast, to be taken out to breakfast. Bob would be sitting there in a chair in the driveway <laughs> waiting for Mark to come. And he, he gave him that time every Saturday morning, which was wonderful. And th- there were some amusing things. One time he and Brad were together with Bob at that breakfast, and uh, he looked up at them and he said, how did you two meet? <laughs> and they started laughing. I said, Dad, we're brothers. We're your sons. And he said, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Then it seemed to come back to him then. Mm. But it was just so funny. And, the, and there were amusing things too that happened. But, um, but Mark was a great help. And it sounds like a sense of humor was important 
can you remember some scriptures that were especially meaningful to you during that time or even any any hard time in ministry in chile when we went there we haven't even hardly talked about that but i i had a hard time adjusting in those in those days when we went to the mission field they didn't have training they didn't have mm-hmm preparation in any way you just went <laughs> and and i really had a hard time adjusting in a, in a lot of ways and was quite unhappy at first had had a lot of longing to be back home with my family and and i can remember at that time and all the way through my life that the lord has given me the verse in isaiah that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee and many times my mind was not stayed on the Lord. And when hard times come, they almost overwhelm you at first. And then as as you gradually get your mind back on the Lord and on the scriptures, it's just amazing how he, he changes your whole mindset and just helps you and gives you a peace that you just don't have yourself. So it's the scriptures again and again and again, all through life. If we, did, if we didn't have the word of God and the Holy Spirit making it applicable to us and, and just um, jumping off the page through the words of scripture, I don't know what we would do in, in to come along because life is tough. Life is, is hard uh, in many, many ways. Um, just the, the scriptures, especially. Um, and, and then, well, at the time when, when um, talking about children and grandchildren, when they're not walking with the Lord, just like we want them to, the word he gives us in Isaiah 59, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit who is on you and my works that I have put and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever, says mm-hmm. the Lord. So that, um, that has been such a, a promise, a claim that the Lord is our covenant God. That means he is our God. We are his people. That's the heart of the covenant. And we know that he has our back. And But we don't always think of that. You know, we get our mind on what's happening, the circumstances of life. And again and again, we just have to go back to that. If we just let our minds go in the direction they would go in, it would be down, down, down. Mm. But no, we've got to... Um, as the scriptures tell us, think on these things, the good things, the right things, and that, that God is still in control. Truly. And I love that you referenced uh, that scripture in the context of children and grandchildren that m- might be walking a pathway that we would prefer that they don't walk because we don't believe it's where God would want them. There are so many families who are struggling with that challenge right now of um, children who are rejecting their faith or making life choices that are painful and parents and family and friends trying to figure out how do I, how do I reflect Jesus to this child and, uh, or adult, adult child. And so I think praying that scripture, that's a powerful, powerful promise. 
of God's word to comfort us. Yes. Can you think of a really hard time in ministry and how you were able to come to the other side with a stronger faith? Well, you know, there are the good things in, in the ministry that we enjoy. And, and I, I thoroughly um, enjoyed being a pastor's wife. I, I loved it all the time. I love weddings and baptisms, especially when you got to meet with families and be with them during those good times and those rejoicing times. But there are the expectations that people have, and you can never, you can never live up to all of the expectations that there, there are in a congregation. And, and, and you have to be careful that you're not building your own little kingdom instead of God's kingdom and getting so concerned with uh, what people think of you. And then as you have a multiple staff, there are staff situations that get very sticky and hard. I, I can remember feeling pretty hopeless at times on certain situations that I thought, oh, this is just going to ruin our lives forever. Mm. But in time, acting as you feel the Lord wants you to, reaching out in love and not bitterness and anger, the Lord works those things out eventually. It doesn't always happen right away. But we can see the Lord doing little things that change a situation. Many times, well, as we've all, all said, the Lord's timetable is so much slower than ours. But we have no idea all that he's accomplishing in the meantime in us and in the other people. If, if we can just always know that God is working, God is working. And so look for even the little things that he's doing that, and how he's changing me. It brings great encouragement in the midst of hard times. It's so interesting that you talk about watch for the little things because I just had a conversation with a friend who said the very same thing. We were talking about what we've learned over the years. And in the season of life, one of the things that we are compelled to think about again and again is to be quiet. And that means be quiet when it comes to conflict and telling someone else what to do and judgment and all of those things. And she said, so often when I run to the Lord and I talk to him, I don't talk to somebody else. I talk to him about it and I share my heartache and my burden with him. And I know that he's telling me to be still this is not your problem. This is my burden. And she said, and then I see little things happen that I know for sure it's because God is doing something behind the scenes that I could not even imagine. And so I, I see, I believe what you're saying is so true. And I don't know if it takes being old to figure that out <laughs> because I can remember times in ministry where I thought this is never going to be better. These relationships will never be restored. It's too hurtful, and yet over the, over the years, I've watched God do something amazing, and it is through those little acts that we have no control over. As you get older, too, you understand the grace of God so much better that he reveals to you what you're like, what, all you, what your problems are, what a sinful person you are, and yet how much he loves us 
And his grace is so overwhelming. Mm. So then your expectations of others are not nearly as high. You're not nearly as critical because look at you. Look what you're doing. Look what you have done in the past. And, and yet the Lord has been so gracious all these years. Mm. When I think of our years there at Newark, because, you know, we were there twice. We were there when we first went, um, when we were just a young pastor and his wife out of seminary for seven years and then felt the call to Chile and were gone for 10 years and then were called back. And, and I think of all the mistakes we made and all the dumb things we, um, uh, we did. And yet the grace of God that he was all of the time mm-hmm blessing us and blessing the ministry and the church was growing. I, I took it for granted then. And now I, when I look back, I am absolutely amazed at God's grace in our lives in spite of us. Mm-hmm. And he is building his church in spite of us. And so our, our criticisms are not nearly uh, as strong. And we're, we're just, we're just realizing God's grace in our lives and we're to extend that grace to others and look for how God is working in them because he is, he's working in them too. I I had a moment probably last year where I was going back over my life and the Lord was opening up my eyes and my heart to what you just described, the things that I was a mess. I didn't think I was a mess. But my sinful heart, some of the things that I did and said, and I wish I could go back. And I'm hoping that people didn't realize I was so critical and hurtful. And I thought, and I thought, Lord, please forgive me. And then it hit me that his he knew all that about me. I may not have figured it out, but he knew all that about me, and he still blessed us, and he still blessed the ministry. Just exactly what you said. It was overwhelming to me to think about the grace that he had extended to me in that season. And I, I think that um, a, a real challenge for older women and men too, probably, but is, am I going to be a bitter old woman or am I going to be a woman who is reflecting Jesus in my relationships? And I think you've touched on the core of that, Ruth, when you talk about him opening our eyes to the grace that he has extended to us and us acknowledging it, it's, it's transforming. It changes the way we relate to people, the way we see our circumstances, all of it. Never stop learning <laughs> and, and realize that we, we can learn from young people and from our, oh, my children have taught me so much and my daughters-in-law and, <laughs> And my grandchildren, and even as I am older now, and they are so different in, the, in their culture, it's just there's so many new things, but yet I can be continually learning from them. Mm. We never stop learning, because if we do, then we're just ready to give up. But there are so many wonderful things to learn in this, in this world that God has made as we continually learn from others. And, and that's why I like to, even at my age, to be in a lot of different Bible studies, groups that are of different ages. I, I don't want to be with all those old people all the time. 
<laughs> I just enjoy so much the young people and and to encourage them in, in the church as, as we see the young people nowadays. You know, they don't always dress like we think they should and all of that. They, they're the minors. We're so glad they're there. Hmm. And uh, and I, I just try to reach out to the young people of the church now and know their names and what they're doing and talk with them all the time. And my own grandchildren, just to find out what's happening in their lives and just show great interest. And, and, and I'm, I'm learning to, to just look for the things that I can commend and encourage them in. Rather, there are always a lot of things that we'd rather not be. <laughs> <laughs> but to change my whole attitude and what I'm looking for and how to be an encouragement to them. And we, we want the young people to love the church. Mm. We, we don't want them to think it's a place where they're condemned and criticized, and, but that they love Jesus mm. and they love the people of the church who love them. I think you just answered one of the questions that was submitted when I asked uh, other women, what would you ask a woman like Ruth Offerth. And one of them was, how do you stay in ministry with younger women when it seems like they live in a whole different world than you do and life just changes so quickly, it, you can't even keep up with what is happening in their lives. So I think you've answered that question. Well, and another avenue that has helped me to know what's going on in the world is counseling at the Choices Pregnancy Center. Now, that is a whole group of people that I would never meet otherwise. And some of their ideas, uh, I mean, we're not shocked by anything. <laughs> and But what an opportunity. And because I'm old, I think I can get away with a lot more than <laughs> what some other counselors might. They say, oh, she's an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> But they're kind. They're very kind. And they and I feel very emboldened to step up to the plate and, and, and just say, Well, why why are you doing this? Or why have you thought about this? And it's such a wonderful opportunity to give the gospel just again and again and again. What is the choices? Choices Pregnancy Care Center. Oh, okay. For, okay. For crisis pregnancies. But it's also we do S T D testing and and we're certainly encountering a lot of the problems that are in our culture now and the sexual revolution and all of that. So it's just an opportunity to give the gospel and to know what's going on in the world and, mm. um, and to reach out in love and not condemnation, but, but showing them Jesus, mm. showing them what Jesus has for them and what salvation is. So mm. it's a wonderful opportunity. One of the questions that was submitted, which I think all of us are thinking in this season of life, was, does God want us to accept our bodies, our wearing down, embrace it, and rest or keep going until death in his strength or somewhere in between? What is your view of requirement should Christians ever re really retire? Well, we, we never retire from being an influence one way or the other whether it's a good one or a bad one. And yes, our bodies, and it's not a pleasant thing to lose uh, capabilities, to lose strength and feel like that you just can't do that anymore. There are a lot of things I can't do anymore. I, I, um, I can't head up something and be in charge of something. 
but I can I can still influence greatly by all of the Bible studies that I'm in, even though I'm not the teacher. We have lots of discussions, and so you can contribute anything that you want. And I feel like I'm in a position where I can just say lots of things that influence others without actually being there and being the teacher and in charge of it. And yes, I don't do the driving that I used to do. I drive around town, but I don't drive long distances anymore. But so there are limitations, but you never stop influencing where you can and reaching out to, to learn and know about people. We talked about off off camera, we talked about the meaning of the word flourish. Um, one woman said, define flourish. Does flourish in old age mean the same thing as when you're 40 or 30 or 20? What do you think? Well, you flourish in a different way, <laughs> but you can still enjoy life and enjoy the Lord. That's uh, what, what is the chief end of man, <laughs> to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And as you continually stay as active as you can and feed your soul, you have to feed your soul continually. Because if we don't do that, we'll just shrivel up and die. Mm. And so the scriptures become more and more precious as the years go by. And of course, I have more time now to spend in the scriptures. My little back porch is the, is my little sanctuary, and I'm there for several hours at least every morning usually, and, and it is a wonderful, wonderful time. And, and you know, to keep our souls from shriveling, we all need to grow. And I realize that busy mothers and in certain seasons of life, it's very hard to, to spend that time in the Word. And it's good to do at least the devotional every day, but you know, women, we, we uh, of all ages, we need to be theologians. Now, what is, what is theology? It's the study of God. And what more exciting thing can you study than God? And so it, if, if it's at all possible, you need to be in a Bible study mm-hmm. where you're getting the word and not, not just a short little devotional yourself. That's good. I don't want to put that down at all. But to be more than that and to grow in the Lord and and to meditate and think about who he is and what he does. And even just the catechism question, who is God? God is a spirit. And then as it goes on to say, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Mm -hmm. It is being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And if you stop and think about every one of those things, meditate on them. Oh, God just becomes big and we become very small. Mm. And that's what we need all the time. Just some good theology and, and thinking about it. And you grow in that. You just grow all of your life. Mm. And here, uh, well, you remember what St. Jerome said about the Bible. He said, it, he said it was shallow enough for a babe to come drink and not drown. And it was deep enough for a theologian to swim around in all the days of his life and never mm-hmm. touch bottom. We never touch bottom on what, what the scriptures say and what God is like. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a thrilling, wonderful study. Another question that came through was, uh, speak to younger women. As if you were talking to your younger self, what would you say you wished you would realize as a younger woman was not important 
and what would you wish you had realized was important as you were raising your family, as you were growing? In ministry, yes, I love ministry, but it's very important that you don't put ministry ahead of your family. And I feel that I made mistakes in that area that I assumed too much about my boys when they were growing up. I was looking at outward behavior rather than searching to find out what's in the heart. That's the important thing. What's going on? What are they really thinking? What? And there were clues that I could have picked up on that I think I could have been much more helpful but God was merciful. <laughs> and some of the things those boys were doing in Chile, <laughs> the, the tales they tell now, gave them much too much freedom. <laughs> and God preserved them through it all. But don't neglect your family. Don't neglect your kids. And, and even, even your husband to understand what he's going through mm. and, and to provide... Um, a home where it's a sanctuary for him and, and a place where he can just let down his hair. And, and also, and even I've heard you say this before, Sharon, not to be his Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, to understand him more, be, be more of a help in that way. Uh, so the, the Lord is so gracious though, even mistakes we make, he, he overrules, and I just thank him for that. That's, that's just his grace again. <laughs> I'm 70, and I have heart issues, so I'm on heart medication, and I sometimes wake up in the morning planning when I can take my nap because I'm just plain tired. I'm tired. It seems as though I'm tired all the time. I keep moving. I keep pushing through, but then I'll hit a wall around two o'clock in the afternoon where my body says, we're not going any further. You've got to lay down. And I carry with me this low grade guilt that I shouldn't be giving into it, that I, that surely there's more I can be doing. How would you respond? Help, help me figure this out. I think we have to pay attention to our body and there is nothing wrong (laughs) with taking a nap. We need it. We, we can't just push ourselves and push and, I mean, these bodies are a gift from God also, and they have to be cared for. And, and we, I just expect to, um, I'm fading. I know I am. I see in many ways I'm fading. In memory, too, not, not being nearly as sharp with names and remembering things. Just give me a few minutes and maybe it will come. But <laughs> we take notes and we... <laughs> help ourselves along by writing down things because we'll forget them. Mm. But that's, that, that is God's plan. We, we don't live forever. Mm. Everybody, everybody's going to die (laughs) unless Mm. the Lord comes before that. And so we, we need to, not that these are welcome changes, not that we (laughs) rejoice Mm. in them, but they, they're real. And so we do, we do heed what our body says and take as good care of it as we can. That's why I still try to walk all the time because mm. I don't want to just get sedentary, but the time will come when I can't do that either. But um, yes, we pay attention to it. Take your nap, Sharon. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're uh, sadly going to wrap up our time um, in a few minutes, but is there anything that 
is pressing on your heart that you would love to say to uh, maybe a young woman who knows that someday she's going to be old and she wants to know how to prepare for that, um, or to an old woman who is struggling to trust the Lord, to push through hard places in her life. I, I think we've covered it, but is there a summary that you would say, okay, this is what I want to be your takeaway? Well, just recently, Psalm, the end of Psalm 23 has meant so much to me. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, goodness and mercy, things don't seem like they're good sometimes at all, but it's God's goodness and it will follow me. It's like a sheepdog at our, at nipping at our heels uh, all the days of my life. And really thinking of heaven, it gets more wonderful all the time. God prepares us for that. And that when you have so many more people on the other side that are already there waiting to meet you, uh, it makes it a most inviting place. Well, you have been listening to a conversation with Ruth Offerth. I'm Sharon Betters, and I am so excited that you have joined us for our wide-ranging conversation about what it means to flourish in old age or to be ever-growing, evergreen. I'm so grateful to Ruth for her sharing her heart. There's just so much more that we could dig into and maybe we will someday, Ruth. Maybe we'll pick this up and just keep on talking. But you can go to markinc.org, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you can find more resources like this, more conversations that are designed to offer help and hope to hurting people, to equip, energize, and enable believers to walk by faith, to be encouragers to those who are hurting, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C dot org. Thank you again for listening.